passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back, everybody, to Post Wrestling. It is John Pollock here alongside Wei Ting, and we are kicking off the week with a very special guest joining us for the first time here at Post Wrestling. You're probably very familiar with her prior work at Uproxx, and she was a free agent for about five seconds and then was uh, quickly joining the Fan Fight group. We'll talk a, a bit about that and all of her coverage of uh, New Japan and such. Emily Pratt is here with us on the show. Emily, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, well, it's great to have you on. Um, you know, there's there's a lot uh, to discuss. And, you know, from just kind of an overall sense of what the last couple of weeks have been like, for you to see uh, so many of these stories uh, co- coming forward, has this been something that you feel has been a long time coming? Or was just the sheer volume of all of these stories in the Speaking Out movement uh, somewhat just overwhelming to process that everybody I think has been in a some different state of processing all of this. No, like I I don't think I thought it was a long time coming just because I thought it would be buried for longer. <laughs> um, there were like some people who got named that I was like, wow, I did not expect anybody to confront these people <laughs> publicly for like years. So, um. Like Mike Quackenbush, I never thought people were going to publicly like talk about all his garbage, but like, um, like the volume was somewhat surprising to me, but like knowing about some cases, it wasn't that surprising because, uh, I guess the structure of a lot of indie scenes is like pretty similar. You know, I, I, I suppose like, can you talk about maybe some of the difficulty of like, you know, somebody not wanting to speak out because it, it sounds like at least from your perspective, these were some of these were widely known cases. Yeah, I don't know, like how widely known they were, but like there I think there were some difficulties about like how people were willing to come out is something I encountered. Uh, I live in southern california like in the southern california wrestling scene probably the biggest name named was joey ryan who aside from his indie wrestling career is also the booker of bar wrestling um which is definitely the biggest uh or highest profile booker of women wrestlers like both locally and from if you want to see like good women's wrestling from other parts of the country, like bar wrestling is like the place to see it was the place to see it like the most regularly. So um, there was, it was definitely, I think really difficult. Sorry for uh, women to speak out about him. And when I found out about Joey, it was because I was, 
thinking of doing an article about bar wrestling and I contacted a friend who was kind of close there and was like, do you think Joey would talk about this topic? And they were like, uh, yes, but maybe don't go try and talk to him because he's, and they called him the Harvey Weinstein of indie wrestling. And I was like, what? Oh, <laughs> okay. Wow. I mean, it wasn't that surprising, but it was so depressing. So I eventually, like, I didn't really have a platform to do, like, investigative journalism. And I'm not, like, an investigative journalist. But I thought maybe I can talk to people about this and sell it to another platform. Because my boss was not really into publishing stories about uh, sexual assault stuff unless somebody got arrested for obvious reasons. Reasons are that he was a sexual predator also. Um, and... <laughs> I thought I can sell it somewhere else. Maybe this is like enough mainstream appeal, but um, it was really hard to get any firsthand story, which is like how a lot of these cases worked is it was kind of like a rumor. Um, and I reached out to this one wrestler who had kind of been talking more openly about it. And he kind of summed up like why women were, not willing to talk about Joey Ryan for years. And uh, what he sent to me was this message that said, uh, there was already a sports journalist working on a story and talking to women. At the end of the day, they don't want their names on it because they foresee Mark promoters not booking them and an online mar army of Marks doxing them. That's what I always notice. And as much as I think the opposite would eventually happen and it would really crack open a brutal aspect of lower level indie wrestling and everyone would be on the girl's side so far, they don't see it that way. Mm. Um, pretty much like that whole sling did uh, crack open with the speaking out movement and people were generally on people's side, but I think anybody who's been in wrestling <laughs> fandom or around wrestling long enough kind of knows that it's until pretty recently like that probably wouldn't have been the case and if there wasn't like the sheer volume of uh allegations that were coming out and like in joey's case so i think there was some like uh reference sheet somebody made of all the allegations joey had like 15 it was like oh my god uh so i think um they're worried yeah about retaliation from powerful people in the industry, not just who uh, they were coming out about their experiences with, but also from the, the fans uh, would not push them to get booked anywhere else. And like, maybe that would have been true for like Joey Ryan at the height of his indie popularity in like 2016 or whatever that was. But fortunately it worked out, but like they had very reasonable, <laughs> Uh, fears about this when you look at like I don't know it's it's like any time in entertainment like it's pretty it's pretty similar to like uh what happened with people who were harassed by Louis CK and they just didn't get to work anymore if they talked about it and it's like it's like very common <laughs> so uh I think their concerns are very valid and I mean, 
professional wrestling is, you know, in there's probably many industries that you can equate to this, like operates in that, that kind of secret society that it's, you know, you, you protect the business, we live by this code. And this, this was really just going against all of that stuff of people speaking up and in such volume that I feel we're in a place right now where pro wrestling is in a position to do something. Do you feel confident that the next steps will be taken? Because it seems that now we're, we're kind of removed from the shock of these allegations. Like they're horrifying, but we've processed them. Now it is taking those certain actions of how can we change this industry? Because this is not just weeding out a few bad people. This to me is a, a cultural issue. Uh, that's it, It's a major issue. But what, what are the next steps? And that's, do you feel the, the industry is in a position to m- make certain changes that are going to uh, curtail some of this in the future? Um, I think it might depend like scene to scene and kind of promotion to promotion. Like the UK scene seems like it was just decimated by yes. just the sheer amount of abuse going on. Like our indie scene, I know opportunities for women like somebody's gonna have to step up and kind of provide more of those i think um and i think there is like a demand for it so hopefully it works out um but i think it it does depend on just the area like the different communities how they respond to like whether they really make some changes and like put some resources in their community for like people who are facing harassment and abuse uh you know this is i think this is like people are talking about like oh we need scenes and like that's true but also i think just they need resources for any type of uh, person who's experiencing harassment because it's not like women are inherently like not going to harass people. They just don't generally have the ability to get away with it at this time. So it just needs to be like general, uh, like being, you know, less sexism and stuff is, and, uh, is definitely going to help, but more resources for everybody. But I think like something that kind of makes me pessimistic is, I mean, the industry leaders, like companies like WWE, don't really have an incentive to fix this, I think. And I think we have seen people are pretty, have been pretty willing in like the recent past to just look over um, if people are participating in abuse and blacklisting and wrestling. I think like, if they like the wrestler enough, I think the case in point with this is like the Will Ospreay Pollyanna situation. Uh, I am not even somebody who's especially interested in this wrestler or in the UK indie scene, but I knew like that this was true. And I wasn't even like heavily online in the wrestling community until I started working for Uproxx. But I found this out pretty quickly. seems like this, information that what had happened was slur Pollyanna uh, came forward saying she had been raped by Scott Wainwright wrestler and longtime friend of Will Ospreay 
she was blacklisted so hard she was forced out of the whole uk scene and just wrestling and this was so clearly true and just nobody would talk about it people in media who are otherwise who are acting scandalized by this whole thing would just ignore it and would even <laughs> talk about Osprey as like some kind of a progressive type presence because he like talked about having depression sometimes. And now there is irrefutable hard evidence in the form of that were shared by, let me check out. Oh, the international international wrestling league, as well as like Osprey pretty much damning himself with his like crazy crazy non-apology and like cl like clearly he is lying now and there's hard evidence that he was lying everybody should have been able to tell that he was lying the whole dang time but I, people just looked over it and this was somehow being a smarter wrestling fan than people who were like i don't like this person because he helped like enable an alleged rapist like this was such an insane part of wrestling fandom for the whole time <laughs> since it happened um obviously i am upset <laughs> like my professional podcast voice is like breaking about this this makes me especially angry because this was the exact thing i was worried about happening to me at my job at uprocks for two and a half years because i knew like that I was so much lower level than the person who was harassing me. He had a history of like being able to get people connected or burn connections. Like some of the details about that are not really out, but I'm not really going to share like names about how that happened, but like uh, that happened. <laughs> um, and it was just like, if I complain about this, like there is no way to know if I can trust, anybody there's every reason to think that I will just be totally dead in the water as a writer and I'll have to completely try and start over in like some other genre of writing uh if I talk about like what I've been experiencing here and watching like kind of how people in wrestling fandom and media responded to the Pollyanna situation like totally validated my feelings that definitely the wrestling community would not be sympathetic towards me if I talked about harassment from a very popular person, even if, uh, you know, my boss, Brandon Stroud, did have some people who strongly disliked him and would bring up that he was allegedly a creep. He is definitely a creep, but in like a weird spiteful way where it seemed like it was more about not liking his blogs than it was about being concerned about harassment victims. Um, and we had, you know, people were defending Teddy Hart until he was arrested. Like people were defending his obviously abusive relationship with Maria Manic. Like, uh, so th these things were so recent that like, for me to believe that like now people have been shocked <laughs> into caring is I would like to believe that enough people will take it upon themselves to change a lot of things about wrestling culture. But I think there is also like a lot of, a, there's just a lot to deal with. And like the elephant in the room is uh, like WWE and 
Vince McMahon and uh, the way that like people talk about the most mainstream wrestling history, like, you know, people kind of know that like WWE in their, you know, corporate documentaries and stuff and like whoever they license or they allow to use their footage, like they really uh, push their own like sanitized narrative. I was talking to somebody in entertainment who's working on a project related to wrestling and they like two different people like unrelated and in one in like the entertainment and one in media were like, this is like a mafia like organization. <laughs> um, and it's like the word mafia. I was like, wow, that's people really think it's like the mafia, but um, like people who should know better, just allow WWE PR to just push this like BS, like uh, sports illustrated ran an article about the first full-time female referee in WWE. And I understand if like some random person who doesn't really cover wrestling is just like, okay, I guess like women didn't want to be refs before now. I will like press a post on this post. That's like just saying that this is happening and it'll get some clicks. Like for somebody who has like a regular wrestling column to just decide not to mention uh, Rita Chatterton. Yeah. Chatterton. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, Reader Chatterton and be like, oh, I didn't think that was part of the story of like w why WWE didn't have a full-time female ref for like decades. Like that is enabling. That is enabling abuse to continue. So like part of this, I think for people who are just around wrestling uh, is to value the end, like ending this type of culture and value like victims of harassment in wrestling to come forward, like value that above getting 10 minute promotional WWE exclusives and like dreaming of being an analyst on a pay-per-view pre-show panel someday. Like that's, I don't know if that's people's specific goals, but like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, uh, when I was actually, I did actually train to be a wrestler for like five months and like something that really stuck with me from that was a trainer would tell the class, like, now that you were in the business, uh, be a fan, but don't be a mark. And I think that's something that anybody like around wrestling can really internalize. Like if you're doing like some kind of design work or media work or whatever, and you see something that seems wrong like don't let your fandom like get in the way like because you're so happy to be there like you can love you don't have to like hate wrestling now like be definitely be a fan but like don't you know these people will just lie to your face like and if you're a smart wrestling fan or like an adult or older teenager who's connected to wrestling like people should people should understand that and that's not saying like everybody in wrestling sucks because there are definitely like cool and good and like trustworthy people in wrestling who are just in it because they love wrestling and they love performing. But like, you know, anybody who's connected to wrestling should be aware that this is a industry that 
has like I mean there's a whole TV show on Vice called The Dark Side of the Ring so like people should understand <laughs> that this is like so embedded in the history of wrestling that there are all these problems and like just do your little part to make it less normal for just good wrestlers <laughs> to like be able to get away with like whatever shit that they want to do. <laughs> That's the end of that little rant there. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you about perhaps what you've seen from companies out there that have released public statements, at least from a PR perspective, what would you say has been sort of like, you know, um, you know leading example of what perhaps what a company should, how a company should be responding and handling all these allegations. Oh gosh. Um, if there is one, I don't, oh, I don't know. Like, because at this point, I think it's hard to know who is being sincere. Uh, I think the best thing to do from any company is to like respond right away with just saying you're aware that people are talking about it because like people are still going to like yell at you <laughs> no matter what. Uh, but they will not, you're not going to burn like so much of your goodwill if it turns out like, yeah, this was one, like, you know, this was like a bad egg. And because of wrestling culture, people who were being harassed didn't feel like they could talk to like other people in management. And like, we're like, com the company is going to make an effort to actually fix it, which I think is something that is probably happening some places. I know I like went pretty hard on like all wrestling, but like, I don't, I really don't think all wrestling is like a cesspool. Like I think that there are organizations that are going to do that, but um, yeah. So I don't really know. I haven't really formed opinions about like who is doing the best PR. I guess I, I thought um, on the, a much the like milder case of like the, Sammy Guevara, like Sasha Banks situation was handled pretty well. I think uh, it was nice to see like, I don't know. I think it was really admirable of Sasha to like come out and just do her own response to the situation, which like she did not have to do, but I thought it was cool. She, she like did not really like publicly like forgive him, but she was just like, yeah, we talked about it. And like that, I don't know. That was uh, kind of nice to see and like Sammy still looks like an idiot after this but like that seemed like a that the way that was handled made it seem like a much more like fixable situation of and more kind of like a normal workplace of just like obviously they're not like co-workers but using just like extremely <laughs> offensive language and like now you have to learn about it and like even if you did get it quickly there it is kind of like punitive to have to do a big like sensitivity course because watching like corporate videos is boring <laughs> but like I don't know it, I thought that was handled pretty well like by mostly by Sasha but like kind of by everybody involved but that's not really like yeah that's that was like kind of an outlier because it wasn't somebody actually being harassed that was just very very offensive language you know uh, you, you mentioned how um 
I mean, there's so many names that are that have been attached to, to this whole thing. And as somebody who often has to like, you know, talk about wrestling that um, features people that you might know to be problematic or, you know, even rewatching now at this point, for instance, you know, something involving somebody that's been accused. Uh, how do you like personally deal with that as a journalist who kind of has to cover, like, let's say, for instance, in your opinion, like a Will Ospreay match in the future? Yeah, I mean, I don't really like that guy as a wrestler anyway, so I don't, like, really care. I don't know, like, some of the things that are, some of the, something that's weird about this situation is, like, so much of wrestling is just on hold anyway, so we don't have to deal with it right away. Um, I think if you're doing, okay, if you're doing, talking about, like, the art of wrestling and you're talking about abusive people... I think there's like a certain amount of defining when you're talking about a character versus when you're talking about a real person, which is like kind of tricky in wrestling sometimes. Uh, but I think some, you know, sometimes wrestling companies are really trying to work you about like the real character of a person. And I think if they are, it is uh, responsible to kind of talk about, like, what do we really know about this person versus, like, what is the, what image is the company trying to sell? Because, I mean, just creating people's public images is such a huge part of entertainment and I mean, I guess anything with public figures, but I think it's like part of writing about entertainment is talking about kind of how public personas like interact with that. So I think it's like, if you're just talking about like the ability to do mood, like it, I don't know, it really bugs me when people say like, oh, you like acting like it's like smarter if you are able to just watch a match and like not be upset by thinking about like I don't know like I remember even last year people were being like oh all the all the stuff about Teddy Hart but you can't deny he has like the prettiest moonsault and it's like I can not enjoy his moonsault like a move that many many people can do like I care about uh, rape more than I do about somebody's ability to do a flip. Like, <laughs> that's like a very weird part of wrestling culture. Uh, so I think as a journalist, avoiding those types of phrases of like setting aside everything <laughs> about this character, uh, he can do a cartwheel. Like, people cannot, I think people cannot do that because that really just tells anybody, like, experiencing harassment that like their experiences are meaningless <laughs> like they are less meaningful to people than like the most worthless <laughs> like talents in the world um and yeah that's a little bit of a rant but I think not doing that and then uh distinguishing uh if a company is trying to do like uh persona rehab on somebody I think or if there seems to be a disconnect with uh how people like fans perceive this wrestler versus how the company is 
trying to sell this wrestler, which like people already talk about all the time anyway, just with like booking and stuff like that. You know, you, you hit on the fact that with, you know, wrestling by and large, like so many companies being on hold during the pandemic. I mean, on the one hand, it's something where they can step back and assess a lot of this of how they're going to come back and address their fan base. At the same time, if they had been active right now and they would be forced to confront this immediately and institute whatever changes their audience deems are necessary to retain the support of their audience. Do you like, I just wonder that if professional wrestling fans have a short-term memory or it becomes something where we're not looking at, you know, a lot of these British companies coming back for eight months from now is our our promoters going to feel that same uh, onus to, to to put those kinds of resources we were just talking about when resources are going to be a big factor here that a lot do not have. And I, I don't have the trust of the industry policing itself either. So it's, it's kind of interesting in the whole time period that we're in in the moment that a lot of these shows are on hold and they don't have that that immediacy to address all of this. Yeah, totally. I think it's really going to depend on the promoter, like whether they have the mentality of like, okay, let's see what we can get away with. Or if they personally are like driven to make a change or if like the their kind of regular um wrestlers push them um to make a change which i think is something that's like probably pretty likely to happen but it depends on like the company and like the positions of those wrestlers who are like willing to come together about it um and i think like I think people like tweeting angrily at them is not really going to do anything, which I know people are going to have the temptation to do. But I think like, I mean, it will a little bit, but like really what these people like listen to is besides like, is, is like damage to their business. So it's like, if you really care about, uh, like thinking it's not acceptable for a company to, you know, can how they've handled something or if they are booking a certain, like certain people, like you just have to not give them money and not buy their merch. Like that's the number one thing is just watch something else because just giving them, just dunking on them, like on Twitter and making them like notorious is just going to draw the attention of like people who think that, you know, abusers being outed is like persecuting a company or like persecuting that person like more than uh people are like oh it's a worse experience than like people being harassed so um i don't know i mean we're definitely gonna have like another huge round of drama i think when people start coming back in mass and when when not if, but like when the attempted rehabilitation of a bunch of people, uh, like begins. You, you know, in the past, like we've we've kind of seen, like you know, whenever a story like this might break in the North American or even European scenes, a lot of performers may go to Mexico or they may, they may go to Japan to continue their careers. 
do you feel you know as somebody who covers like the japanese scene as well do you expect a response from japanese companies and do you really expect them to be more participatory in this overall discussion um you know i don't just because of like historically um how they responded to these types of things like um i don't know like if you look at uh new japan and like michael elgin like they were booking him and giving him like kind of high profile like angle for like the never title when he like was not getting booked uh in the u.s on the indies and like you know then noah like (laughs) brought him in after that and new japan like notably did not ever book (laughs) Michael Elgin uh in I mean they did I think they did book him earlier but like after a certain point did not book him in on their US shows so it's really seemed like they knew but they just like continued to use him in Japan until they let him go and I think like part of that was just like people did not like him <laughs> as a person like within the company but like I mean a lot of people like who are high profile are like widely disliked as people like in the industry so um i don't really expect the japanese scene to like respond to this because like the american uk audiences are not like their first priority see what i find so interesting about that is like you know when it comes to um these types of stories happening to let's say somebody in japan like say um the takama chinoku story like they treat that with incredible seriousness but it's like with their foreigners, it's like they they just either uh, are willingly, you know, they willingly turn a blind eye or I find it hard to believe, but they might actually not know. But in this case, I can't see not knowing something that's, you know, hit like our scene this big. Yeah, it's it is it, it is interesting, like. The like how New Japan handled the Elgin situation versus the Taka situation is like. I. I it's hard to like guess what the thought process in the company was and maybe it's just like well we can just put him on we can just put him on shows in Japan and it's not going to be a big deal <laughs> like but the Taka situation was like or just assume that like because of the language barrier and stuff like Japanese fans aren't going to be as aware of like the drama in the US and the UK and like I don't know how aware people who don't speak English are about like what's been going on like English language wrestling uh like the you know like wrestling communities pretty much everywhere that speak English like it's it's very weird I don't really have the answer <laughs> that either when um you know just uh from your own perspective uh when you put out your story and uh, statement last week uh i'm sure that that had to come with a a lot of anxiety uh, ahead of time to put something so personal out there was that uh, a weight off your shoulders and were you surprised at all by the response were you um I was just curious, kind of from an overall perspective, what uh, the last week has been like for yourself being, you know, discussing your history with Uprox. Um, I was like, by the time I put that out, I was not 
really stressed out about it, but definitely when I was writing it, because there was like a, I think the big wave of allegations like that was growing over time, like what came out about my boss, Brandon Stroud, like two weeks before he uh, was let go uh, by Uproxx or his contract expired. I don't really know like what happened with that. But um, so like the first like week or five days or so after those came out, uh, it was very, very stressful. Um, and like some of the stress was alleviated because I, um, got another job offer, like the day after that whole thing blew up and I was like, and it was like better than the deal I had with Uprox. And I was like, that made me feel like I can really kind of give all the information I have to like the investigation that they were doing and not have any like fear <laughs> of how that would affect me. Um, so like it was very stressful, but it was also fine. Like it felt like fine. And I kind of like deciding to just wait until after the investigation was over to say something like kind of, took some weight off my shoulders because um, I would be able to kind of definitively respond to whatever had happened. But like actually writing the statement was like difficult because it was like, I finally had to talk about this thing that I didn't talk about for like two and a half years aside to like a few friends. So um, the response by that time, I think I could tell was going to be supportive, which was very nice. Like, just talking to other people who knew Brandon, who who had worked with him, like, we're kind of all talking to each other. And it was, I was actually kind of amazed by the scope of, the scope of, like, uh, just people who had knew him at least being like, oh, yeah, he sucks. Like, somebody who'd known him longer than, longer than me called him, like, a pathological liar to me. And people calling him, like, a narcissist. And it was like, yes, okay, like, I don't know why we were never talking about this before, but it was, it was like very supportive and like most, like almost the entirety of like, at least the Uproxx readership who were talking about it publicly, like understood, I think that these were like, this was the truth about Brandon coming out. Um, so like the support was, was pretty good. Do you have any, you know, advice for, let's say, women who are also looking to break into journal journalism in a male-dominated environment and to really, I guess, protect themselves, you know, um, to, to make sure they don't find themselves working for people, perhaps, you know, in a similar situation? I don't know if you can really avoid working, definitely avoid working for people who are trash, but, like, um, I think... Something you can do is, uh, you know, like media is very exploitative, uh, like writing and entertainment are exploitative industries. So like, you know, if you're looking to get into the industry, there's definitely a lot you can learn from like people who are more experienced than you and have different perspectives from you, but also like know your worth. And if, like, if you believe you should have a job 
in journalism, like believe that you also don't deserve to be treated like garbage. And um, you may not be able to avoid people who want to sexually harass you or treat you like garbage. Like I, I don't know <laughs> if that can totally be avoided, but um, I think talking to other women in your workplace about like, if you're dealing with sexual harassment, like uh, talking to them, like, Hey, have you had like a similar experience? Like, do you know what's up with this guy? Like, I think that could help a lot. Um, and, you know, I think like men in media could also try to be more supportive. Um, and like, kind of, if you see something like that, you think like one of your friends is doing that seems like unsavory kind of look into it or like talk to them about it or like talk to the other side of the conversation about it and like don't make it like a big public thing or like a big social media thing like the first the first impulse like should not be to go on social media about it which you know like in what happened recently in wrestling like this was like the last resort obviously uh but like kind of try try to foster like more communication and support in the community. I think, I think that could help a lot. Uh, those are all really great points. Um, before we wrap up, you know, we, you, you've brought up like wrestling media th throughout this interview over the past couple of weeks. How have you felt the, the coverage has handled the story? Uh, I would be the first to admit, I, I don't know if this, industry is is fully equipped to handle some of the like this level of investigations and and i i put myself in the, in that as well uh this has been very tricky for me to navigate i've leaned on a lot of people for advice and I, i've tried to do the best possible but i think as well i mean criticism should be taken constructively of how this industry handles such a significant story that has enormous ramifications as well yeah, I think there's kind of like two kind of different segments of like wrestling media. And there's like some people who actually cover wrestling and they work for like big companies and like you can work for a big media company and like be worked to the bone and like paid terribly. So I don't want to say they have necessarily all the resources to cover it, but like they do have a larger voice and I think they have to think more seriously about being uh, complicit and being like a bootlegger, like a grifter and just trying to get wrestlers to be friends with them and do interviews with them um, and should be <laughs> held accountable for spreading misinformation. And then I think like a big part of people who do media about wrestling are fans and it's like their hobby and like maybe they have like a patreon about it but it's like not really their job and i don't think they should be subject to like the same exactly the same scrutiny because if it's like your hobby and you have like a wrestling podcast like um but i think that everybody uh 
connected to wrestling can you know if this was surprising if like if you're in wrestling media and this was surprising to you I think you need to look at like how are you you getting your history of like what is your understanding of like wrestling history because if this is surprising to you I think your understanding of it has been off and um I think if you're totally at a loss of like how to understand this I think I guess read you know reach out to to others who seem to have a better understanding about it but also just like look into I think look into how um like not just wrestling history but look look into like how the comedy scene is trying to comes to come to terms with it right now like music industry and uh you know kind of try and like branch out of the wrestling bubble for like understanding of this because like there are things about it that are unique to wrestling but there's also like it's very similar to other industries and I think kind of that like my (laughs) like my golden rule of wrestling (laughs) journalism the like be a fan but don't be a mark thing like don't let these people trick you because it's not worth it like you're you're better than that (laughs) and like um and I think there's kind of another quote that I put I have like a lot of notes for this podcast like I don't remember all this stuff off the top of my head on that like uh all these details but like uh it's seamless though. you you are our most prepared guest we, we've spoken to so <laughs> yeah i didn't want to sound like an idiot about this stuff not at all um, we're, we're the ones that usually sound like idiots so. no. <laughs> um there's a a book uh there's a quote from the the um journalist kind of historian uh adam hawkschild in his book king leopold's ghost uh, about colonialism, which is like a much bigger issue than this. But I think he has a phrase about it that's like uh, about kind of history that I think applies here. Uh, because the world we live in is uh, shaped far less by what we celebrate and mythologize than by the painful events we try to forget. And I think if, uh, you know, people covering wrestling or interacting, like kind of getting involved with the wrestling business, like think about that and think about like as much as you want to be positive about your hobby and like go into you know that that doesn't mean like just be a miserable like wrestling fan but if you are trying to engage with like the reality of wrestling and wrestling history I think like keep in mind that it's you know history is written by the the victors and there's like so like so much like important stuff about how the business has actually worked is like buried or weirdly talked about in like jokey ways on like shoot interviews where people are just like talking about being sex creeps on like so many of these. And it's just like, ha ha ha. And that's just, it's just like out there, but just nobody cared for years. So um, I think that is my, that is my <laughs> like amateur advice from my perspective for just people who are not directly in wrestling, but like covering wrestling. No, that's a, it's a lot of great advice. uh, I think that you've imparted Uh, as we wrap up here. I do want to allow you to direct uh, our listeners to where you're writing now and uh, opening impressions of uh, master Watto and his (laughs) pro wrestling this past weekend. The floor is yours, Emily. Um, Okay, so people can find my uh, writing at uh, fanfight, F-A-N-F-Y-T-E, 
uh, com, which is the wrestling section of Fanbyte Media. Um, and uh, I also write pretty regularly for DeadlockPW.com. Um, you can find the promotion of all my articles and just tweets on my Twitter account, which is at Emily of Pratt. Um, oh, uh, Master, man, Master Watto, uh, I'm really rooting for that guy. <laughs> I think he, he, like, truly, I am, honestly, I am so happy that this happened because I think it's been a while since we had like this particular type of thing like happen in wrestling where it's just like so funny um and it is very much like laughing at (laughs) but like oh man I like I'm really torn because like I think so far this is like very dumb but also I do I am I am rooting for him like do better so like i hope his match with doki is good um and i like his i like his uh like blue grandmaster outfit so i i support master watto well we we have gotten both sides because uh wh park who is our wardrobe aficionado uh has given the thumbs down on master watto's attire Uh, oh yeah i know he doesn't okay he didn't like uh big r shimizu's like crazy like red gear from last year either and i like loved it in the same way that i love the master Watto gear where i'm just like yes this is uh awful i love it well you, we always have to get both sides we have to get both sides of the argument and and master Watto is that that line drawn in the sand you're on one side or the other so uh you you can listen for uh for wh's uh breakdown uh, on this past weekend show, but uh, Emily, uh, we'd love to have you back on sometime uh, to chat. Uh, hopefully, some some brighter subjects. But I think you bring up an excellent point. It's not uh, it, this industry is full of dark subjects as well, and you can't just turn your brain off to those subjects. That is part of their history, and it's part of what what's happening now. Um, so that you know, I've always believed like you don't want to be the person that's all negative you also can't be the person that's all positive there it's like that's not reality that you're living in on either side yeah uh so thanks uh, so much uh for joining us emily again you can follow all of her work at uh, fan fight and on twitter emily of pratt that's p-r-a-t-t and way and i will be back uh, later tonight uh following raw so thank you to everyone for listening and we'll speak with you tonight <laughs>